the back. Uh, one of them, Delroy, you know Delroy, you know him quite well, some of you will. And um, I'm not certain he, he really knew um, God touching him particularly while we were praying at the end of the meeting. But what he realised was as he got back in his car, and I don't think we even prayed for it, but suddenly he could turn his head right the way round in a way that he couldn't beforehand. And we hadn't even prayed for that. We just, we just asked for God to uh, come and fill him and touch his life. And he realised that God had healed his neck. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And he didn't notice, didn't notice it at all. And then he also noticed, he noticed a new lightness and um, just a happiness that he hadn't experienced before. And again, he didn't realise it in the time. It's as he walked away that, that he just experienced it. And then for two or three days, experiencing the love and a fresh joy from God. That's good, isn't it? So I'm, I'm in faith to pray for you at the end to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I am going to be a bit of a stuck record for the next 40 days because I think it is so important that we are filled with Holy Spirit. So I'm going to be going for that over the next few days, okay? Or next few, yeah, yeah, next 40 days or so. Brilliant. Um, I wanted, normally we'd have church news now, wouldn't we? We're going to do that at the end. I felt there was such a tangible sense of God here, the Holy Spirit working in us, that I thought, cool, this is too good an opportunity. I'm going to preach on the back of it because it'll make my life easier. Okay? I thought, you know, if God is working in this way in the worship, I'm sure we're going to get a bit of an overlap into the preach as well. Um, And then Andrew will come and bring church news um, at the end of the meeting. Um, I want to recommend a few really good books for you um, in connection with this 40 Days of Hungering After God. I think some of these are available on the the, uh, resources at the back. One's called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's, It's about knowing God as your father. It's about experiencing his love. It's based on the story of the prodigal son. And um, I read it and it gives insight and has opened my mind up and helped me to understand it and connect with God as my father in a way that I hadn't done before. And so I'm not certain if this is available on resources, but if you ask for it, they will get it in for you. Next one's by John Piper. This is a bit of a more solid read. This is called A Hunger for God. So if, you have, if, you, if, you've, if you've got a degree in the room, a university degree, this would be a piece of cake for you to read. So I'm saying it's more solid, but in other words, most of you, or a number of you, certainly will be able to read it. And if you've never really tested your mind with Christian reading, you know, you always go for the flimsy paperback, well, it's time to step up a bit, okay? It's time for you to use your mind and to sort of understand what's going on in here. So John Piper talks about the um, importance of fasting in the Christian life. The importance of, as we take a break from certain things, maybe whether, as it is for me, TV watching, or food, or whatever it might be, and create extra space for God, what we find is that God works on the inside of us, changing and transforming us, but he also increases our hunger for him. What we say really is, God, you are good, Your gifts are good, but you are even better. I'm saying your gifts are good, God, but you who are the giver of the gifts are even better than the gifts that you give. And so I want to encourage you to read that. There's a few copies at the back. And then the last one, which is an easier read, it's a love story. 
Okay, this is a love story. And I love it. It's The Power of Presence by Neil Anderson. So he's headed up the whole Freedom in Christ stuff. But it's really his story of the last few years. It's his story as he's cared for his wife with dementia. And the power of his presence with her. But it's also the power of God's presence with him as he has been stretched in a way he never has before. And it takes knowing God and brings it down into the everyday. Now I want to encourage you, over these 40 days, I don't care whether you call yourself a reader or not, this 40 days is an opportunity for you to read. Even if it's just one book. There's another Tim Keller book that's on the bookstall, which is called something like the... What's it called? Close. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It'll take... (laughs) Very apt. It'll take you two hours to read. Very provoking, very challenging. It's talking about humility. It's talking about not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. And that a lot of our problems result from the fact we spend too long thinking about ourselves rather than God or other people. So some of these things will fuel your hunger for God. They are really, really important. Now, I want to ask you a question. Can you give God 1%? Can you give him 1%? Who thinks they can give God 1% of themselves? I'm only asking... Only a few of you. This is bad news. We're a church. Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm expecting... Who who can give themselves at least 1%? At least 1%. Good. That's a good start. You had me worried there. I thought, I thought the 1% would be easy. It's a question I want you to carry through this preach. Okay, I want you to carry it. And you'll only understand the title of the preach at the very end. Okay? Now, last week, Andrew, I thought, laid an excellent platform talking about the way we as human beings are designed for intimacy with God. From the very beginning, when you go back to the garden, the Garden of Eden, you see that man and woman, people just like us, we were designed for intimacy with him. We, we found our identity in him. We found our purpose in him. We found our security in God. We were designed to be with God. That's why we were created, was to enjoy him. But we lost it. Because of sin. And sin formed this barrier that separated us from God. And the whole of humankind, the whole of mankind, has been separated from God because of this sin barrier. We lost our intimacy with God. In some ways, the Bible says we died. And although they didn't die physically, spiritually we died. And our opportunity to connect with God was separated. And then when we go through the Old Testament, we see shadows of this this relationship being reconnected. We see it through the temple sacrifices. We see it through the high priest one time in the year going into the Holy of Holies and being able to connect with him. But that would mean all of us, none of us would get in. But just that one person, so the sin barrier in some ways was still there. We couldn't connect with God. But then 
just at the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for us. And he, he died for us, yes, so that our sins might be forgiven, that we might be washed clean, that we might be justified, just as if I never sinned. But I was, all of that happened so that I might have a relationship with my Father in heaven. It all happened that I might have my relationship with God restored. That is why Jesus came. That's why he came, that we could connect with God again as people. And it is an immense, absolutely immense privilege that we might have intimacy with God. Now, that's a bit of a scary word, isn't it? Intimacy. It hasn't, when I use it here, it's got no sexual connotations. It's not, it's not got any of that. It's talking about attachment. It's talking about togetherness. It's talking about affection. It's talking about warmth. It's talking about understanding. It's us connecting with our Father in heaven. That's why Jesus came. That we might be able to connect with him. It is an immense, immense privilege. And I wonder if for sometimes as church, and I think for me, is we just sort of take it a bit for granted. We just become a bit over familiar with the wonder of it. It is absolutely, absolutely incredible. Well, I want to... I want to build on what Andrew spoke about last week. I'm I'm only going to speak for um, 15 minutes, 20 minutes at most. But I want to build on it. We were designed for intimacy. How does it work for us, church? What does it look like for us? And if you've got your Bibles, why don't you turn to Luke chapter 11? What does it like to build a relationship with God? How does it work? So Luke chapter 11 verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he had finished one of his disciples said to him, Lord teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray say, Father hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, yeah, that's right, impudence, he will rise and give whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This passage contains um, building blocks, promises on which we can build our relationship with God. And um, I've got five. There's more than that in there. I've just got five I want to highlight to you. It may be three if I linger too long on the first couple, okay? But five is the plan anyway. The first thing I really notice from this passage is we come to 
our Father. For the disciples, this would have been a radical thing. I mean, come on, where are the cherubim outside the temple? Where's the outer wall? Where is the big thick curtain that separates everyone from God? Where are the priests? Where are the sacrifices? Where's Andrew's goat that he ripped in half? You know, where is all of that? The first, the key, the most important thing for us to realise about our relationship with God is that now, because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we do come to the Creator God, but we come to our Father who is in heaven. We come back to Him, our Father. And it is an immense privilege. Now, I know you know this, and I'm praying, I'm praying for fresh revelation to be dripping into your soul this morning. Can you imagine it for the disciples? This was a radical overhaul. There was no way any of them in the old covenant would get anywhere near God. But when Jesus teaches them how to pray, the first words he says is, Father, hallowed be your name. I come to my Father. When I'm coming this morning, I'm coming to my Father. Yes, he is the king of the universe. Yes, he does sustain all things. Yes, he is sat on his throne, and yet he's my father. My father's got a day job, he runs the universe. But he's my father. It's not that when he became my father, he retired from ruling and reigning the universe. No, he's still ruling and reigning the universe. But when I approach him, I don't approach him as the judge. I don't approach him as the creator. Um, I don't, I don't pro- approach him as the sustainer of all things or the king of kings. I come, he's my father. Now he's all that as well, but he's my father first and foremost. And that's the confidence I come on, not because of my merit, not because I've earned my way in, but because Jesus Christ has made a way. And Jesus is the Son, I am hidden in Christ, therefore I am also a Son, and I relate to him as my Father. This is immense privilege. Now the problem is, although most of us in this room know it in here, it hasn't travelled that massively long distance of 18 inches between here and here. And so most of our daily lives we do not live in the reality of the fact that God is our Father. We, 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 we do believe it, we, we're there, but it hasn't penetrated yet our heart. And it is so important that the Holy Spirit comes and does that work in our lives. We don't need more information, we need revelation of what God has done. That changes how we live, that changes our hearts. It's so very important. Now because he's our, because he's our Father, he brings me now identity. You see, I find my identity in the fact that I am now a son. I don't come, I do not get my identity as the husband of Chloe. I don't find my identity ultimately as the father of four boys. I don't find my identity as the pastor of King's Church, but I find my identity that I am a son of God. And forever I will be, that is unchanging. It is not because I've earned my way in, but because God, in his lavish, wonderful mercy, has made me so. And although the other things could be important to me, and all the other things can change, and my experience of them can be good and bad, what underpins it is the fact I'm standing. I'm a son. 
My identity is reconnected with God. I don't need to earn his love. I don't need to earn his acceptance. I am a son. I will never be more accepted than I am right here today in front of you guys. And I can, you know, me and Janair wondered about having a pity party last Monday. <laughs> that was high pitched, Janair. Because, you know, he was grumpy. You know, why did we do it that way? Do you know what? I was double grumpy after the morning meeting. I was double, although the, the gift, have we done gift day total yet? Oh, it was really good. Anyway, so, um, but, but actually I'm accepted not on my performance. I'm accepted because I'm a son. Not only that, I've been given purpose. I've been given purpose and he has perfectly fitted me for the things he wants me to do. He's given you perfect pur- uh, purpose as well. He brings me security. He will provide all I need. I can totally rely on him. I don't need to fend for myself. I don't need to find my own way. Orphans need to fend for themselves. Orphans need to find their own way. Sons don't. They look to their father and their father sorts it. In the New Testament, God is revealed as Father 245 times. In the Old Testament, it's 15. This is a radical change that takes place between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. I am now a child of God. And the Holy Spirit lives in me, and one of the reasons he lives within me is that I might know that I'm a child of God. Not from there, but from here. That I might experience his love first thing so first thing about prayer learning how to pray you know every time you're coming you're coming before your father in heaven you're not coming as a servant you're not coming as a slave you're not trying to earn your way in he's your father you come with a comp you come second thing is we come with boldness and we come with persistence we see it in verses five to ten he talks about doesn't he this man who friends turn up at his house at midnight He's got no food to lay before him. And in their culture, hospitality is a massive thing. There's no McDonald's around the corner. You can pop up there. No 24-7 Tesco's where you can run. He's got no food in his cupboards. What is he going to lay before them? He doesn't know, so he goes to his neighbour, his friend. And he knocks on the door and says, give me some food. And his friend says, no, look, I'm tucked up, warm and cosy. I am not getting up. I'll get up at nine o'clock and I might give you some bread then, but I'm not giving you anything then. And, and what, does, what does Jesus do when he's teaching his disciples? He, he says, he won't, he won't get up because he's his friend, but he will get up. Why? Because he's not going to give up until he's answered the door. Because of his persistence, because of his impudence. Is that right? Is that the right word? That means audacious or cheeky. God is calling you to be a cheeky prayer. I'll say that again. God is calling you to be an audacious and cheeky prayer. I'll say it again. God is calling you to be an audacious and cheeky prayer. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be persistent. He wants you to go after him. He doesn't want you to give up too easily or too quickly. Imagine, right, I've got four boys. And imagine with my nine-year-old, if I go to Hamley's, you know, the big toy store? In, in, uh, imagine I go there and at the entrance to it, 
I have this big shopping bag that I've got. And I say, Freddie, there's six floors of toys here. You can have whatever you want. All you've got to do is be bold enough and persistent enough. And in the end, I will give in. What do you think he's going to be like? How do you think he's going to go as we walk up and down the six floors? Do you think, what, 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 he, he knows I'm his father. He knows that if, if I've said that, I'm not cruel, I'm not going to mislead him. This is an open invitation to go after God. This is an open invitation to be bold, to pursue God for answer. That's exactly what Jesus does here. He says, be persistent. A bit cheeky. He even says it's it's really because of the rudeness of this man that he gets through. I think sometimes we just give up a bit easy. Sometimes I think we don't even go for it. I mean, I don't know about you, where would you put yourself? On the cheeky, audacious, going for it, 10 down here, or the, I don't really bother, bit down here at a zero? Where would you put yourself on your naught to 10? God is saying, it's an open invite, saying, Stephen, have a Ben. I want you up at the 10 end of the spectrum. I want you praying and seeking, being polled, being persistent, asking big requests. It's in there, read it. Now, I know most of you, because you're British, think there's some small print. I'm sure if I look at the footnotes there, it doesn't really say it. It does say it. And it doesn't just say it there. It says it in a number of times. Prayer's meant to be an adventure. It's meant to be an adventure. Ah. Now, I know some of you are living with the disappointment of unanswered prayer. Just like I know some of you are living with the disappointment of unanswered healing. But I think we view them both the same, same way. As a community, we support those and we love those are battling through. But also as a community, we keep pushing in boldly because God has invited us to do so. And we don't understand the mystery sometimes of why. But we know he is good and we know he has promised us, he has asked us to pursue him. Third thing, it comes out of the first point really, you know, I've just noticed that God loves to provide. He says he's a good dad and he says, look, if you as evil parents, because you're evil in comparison to God who is so, so good, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to you? So you be bold and persistent, and it's not actually that God's stingy, it's not that he doesn't want to answer, in actual fact he's a good father and he wants to give you good things. Why don't we pray? You know, we've got to be loopy if we're not praying. This is such an open invitation to go after him. It is, isn't it? Unless, Unless, of course, you're the one exception that all these promises are for everyone but you. And as I heard at the weekend, you're not that special. You're not the one exception to the promises of God. You're not. We need to be a bit less British and a bit more pushing in, a bit more expectant. Maybe a bit more South African, I think. They're they're quite bold. They push in. They go for it. God loves to provide. How much more? That's wonderful. Fourth thing, this is a bit more sombre though. There can be blockages to our relationship with God. He says in verse 4, And forgive us our sins as we forgive, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. 
and lead us not into temptation. The reality of it is, the situation is, that my relationship with other people will affect my relationship with God. And if you think that they're two separate silos and they have no impact on on each other, that is not true. So if you have broken relationships that you are living with, now sometimes they're broken beyond your control. So you can do certain things, but you cannot get them fully restored. But if you're in broken relationship and you're not willing to restore, the Bible says that affects your walk with God. It does. I'm not making it up, it does. And it says in Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15, a very stark warning for his people who do not forgive others when they have sinned, when they have sinned against them. If I do not forgive my brother when he sins against me, it will affect my walk with God. If I don't forgive, it can open me up to health problems, physical health problems. Some of the things, some of the physical health issues faced are actually because, not maybe completely, but in part because you're not living a life of forgiveness. In part. Not everyone, please hear me. But for some. For some of you, you are emotionally struggling because you've got unforgiveness in your life. The Bible says that it provides a platform for the devil to get in. It gives him a foothold into your life if you're living in bitterness and unforgiveness. Husbands... If you're not living in a considerate way with your wives, it says in 1 Peter, it will affect your prayers, whether God hears your prayers or not. So our relationship with other people affects our relationship with God. We must put it right. Sometimes I say to my boys when they're particularly hyperactive, I say, boys, if you do that again, there will be consequences. I've warned you, if you do that again, there will be consequences. And they've learnt, most times, if they do it again, there will be consequences. Why? I love them. I really do care for them. I want the best for them. But I, but I won't have fighting. I won't have bitterness. I won't have anger and hatred being expressed to each, you know, between them. That's not right. And so I step in and say, look, you've, you've got to put this right. And if you don't put it right, there will be consequences. I think there's a little bit like this. Our Father in heaven, he loves you. But he says, come on, I've made it very clear in my word. Don't carry around unforgiveness. It will affect your relationship with me and it will affect you as a person. Now you need to put it right. I'll help you to do it. I won't leave you on your own, but I will help you find a way through in this. I love you too much to leave you in that situation. And then the fifth thing I notice in connection with prayer, verse 13. And how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I just want to mention two things in connection with this. After asking Jesus into your life, asking for the Holy Spirit to fill you is the best request you can ever make. He has been given to us as a church. He dwells in our midst. He empowers our lives. He makes the difference. You cannot be a New Testament church if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And God has not called you to live the Christian life not filled with the Holy Spirit. He's called you to be a person who is full of Holy Spirit. But secondly, the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. If you find praying dull and lifeless, first thing I'd ask you is when were you last filled with the Holy Spirit? He will bring life to you. He will energise your prayers. He will make God who can seem distant really close in your life. I would love to pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit to help your prayer life at the end of this meeting. Let me go back then just to those. They were those five things. He is our Father. He encourages us to be bold and persistent. Trying to think what the third one was. Oh, he's quick to answer our prayers. He is a good father. He wants to answer our prayers. That our relationships with each other affect our relationship with God. And lastly, he's given Holy Spirit to help us to pray well. Now, let me come back to this 1% thing. Where does that fit in? I was recently at some training in another church, and they just said, do you know what? It only takes 1% of your time to build a healthy relationship. Particularly talking about marriage. Just 1% a day to build a healthy relationship. Now, it's not exclusive. It's not that you just spend 1% of your time with that person. That's all you need. But 1% quality time of connecting with the other person each day will make a world of difference to your relationship with them. That's 15 minutes. 15 minutes a day of real connection where you really talk, where you really find out what is going on, will make a real difference. Do you know what? I want to ask you, if you're not doing this, why don't you give 1% to God? Why don't you invest 1% of your time into building a friendship with God? 15 minutes a day. Why don't you give the first five minutes just to worship? Put a CD on, download a song, Christian song, put it on, and if you're bold enough, sing aloud if there's no one else around, and just connect with him. If not, just listen to it, and at the end of the song, just pray out thanksgiving, praise, worship to Jesus, like we do on Sunday morning. First five minutes doing that. Why don't you second five minutes, just pray. Bring some requests before God. Maybe use the Lord's Prayer. Unpack it a little bit. Just five minutes of praying and seeking God. And why don't you use the last five minutes just to open up the Bible and read that. Before you start, why don't you say, Holy Spirit, please would you help me to understand what I'm reading. And then start in Luke chapter 1. Read one chapter a day. And at the end of it, maybe ask a few questions. What, what stood out to me from what I read? What does God want me to do about it? How can I apply this to my life? 1%. 15 minutes a day to invest in building your relationship with God. Now, I know there's many of you who are already beyond that. You're giving more time than that. But I know for many of you, you really don't know how to pray on your own. You just find the time, I don't know, your mind wanders. You you don't quite know how to structure it. So why don't you, over the next 40 days, say, no, actually, I'm going to create, I'm going to get up 15 minutes early. I'm going to go to bed maybe 15 minutes later. I'm going to have 15 minutes of eating at my lunch break just to create a bit of space to connect with God. Because building a friendship with God in prayer is the most important thing you can give yourself to. Just 1%. I bet you'll find as you do that, you find actually that you start running over time. 
that actually 15 minutes isn't quite enough. You find that God starts speaking to you or leading you in prayer and you find it gets a bit longer. It's so really, really important that we do that. Rochelle, could you come and just share a little bit of a testimony? Welcome, Rochelle. Um, Hi, I'm Rochelle. I'm married to Gary, and we have two children, aged 10 and aged 12. Um, And our lives pretty much are are full on. Um, My husband works full time. He starts work between 7.30 and 8 most days, and it's not uncommon for him to finish um, until after 10 o'clock at night. Um, As for me, I am a leader um, in a local primary school, so I'm responsible for 32 five-year-olds every day. Um, And in addition to that, I look after another 100 um, little people. And that's part of my job. Um, Add into that, you've got a 10-year-old who needs to get ready for school, a 12-year-old who also needs to get ready for school and do his homework. Um, So life is pretty full on for us. Um, But it's obviously not full on enough for us because we also lead a community group. So within that, we um, meet up with people during the week. We have our midweek meetings um, and we try to engage with them as much as possible through the weekend. So life's pretty full for us. Um, So a few years ago, I looked at my life and thought, this this can't go on. I can't keep having this haphazard prayer life. Um, and I faced a choice. I decided to choose between life is busy, I can't pray, I can't do this. Or life is busy, I want to do this. When is it, when is it going to happen? So I made a choice to get up um, earlier in the morning. Um, it wasn't easy to start with. It was quite hard work because I wasn't used to it. But my body soon got into the rhythm. Um, it's still quite tricky in the winter, I will be honest. Um, But I get up, I um, just ask God to meet me, I then read my Bible, um, and then just spend some time praying. I quickly learned I couldn't pray for everything every day, so I kind of have a a rhythm to the prayer life of praying for different things. So sometimes I ask for God to to fill me that day, sometimes I pray about things that are coming up um, at work during the week. Um, And that's pretty much my main prayer time for the day. Um, But because life is so busy, I pray through the day as well, and I try and find gaps as to where that can happen. So um, I go out running, so when I'm running, I pray for my marriage, I pray for my family, um, and give that over to God while I'm running. Um, what else do I do? I, uh, the toilet at work, I know it sounds crazy, but when you're in a busy school environment, the toilet at work is just a good place to go. So situations that come up through the day, as quickly as I can get to the toilet, I go and pray. So it's a, it's a familiar place to me, that one. Um, another thing, uh, I take my daughter to... Um, to the morning, to where she's got to in the morning, um, and we pray in the car. We just pray together in the car and spend some time with God together. Um, and finally, the thing that's really revolutionised my prayer life is Google Calendar. Google Calendar is my friend because anything that I want to pray for and keep asking God for and to keep being cheeky about um, is on my Google Calendar. So next time I look at my phone, there's a notification that's popped up that reminds me to pray for that situation, that person. So that's really helped me too. Um, I think that was, yeah. I just asked Rochelle to, to, to share that testimony just because I think it provokes and stirs us. And we're all different. What we mustn't do is listen to Rochelle and say, I'm not doing all of that. Don't worry about that, but it's need to provoke. Where can I connect with him? How can I build a friendship with him? He is so important to me. I must, I'm, his life to me. I must make time and space. Andrea, could you come up and do church news? And then I'll just finish the meeting off. I'm really sorry. We've run out, we're going to run over by about 10 minutes. But you all okay with that? Good. Iris, you're always all right with stuff. That's good. 